The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, the family massacre murder trial continues with Henry Segura taking the stand in his own defense. Is the defense convincing the jury it was actually a drug cartel that murdered Brandy Peters and her three children? We'll break it all down and give you an update on the Colorado murder trial of Patrick Freeze. This is the Court TV podcast with Vinny Politan and Seema Iyer. Welcome to the Court TV podcast. I'm Seema Iyer here with the lead anchor of Court TV, Vinny Politan, who my mother affectionately refers to as the Vinster. But but say it the way she says it. I love the Vinster. He's the cutest man on television. He really is. You're so lucky to work with him every day. And See? I say, and I say, yeah, ma, it's a gift. Listen, it's a gift. Listen to your mother. Do you like the Vinster? Do we like that? Yeah, no, that's great. It's People cute, have been right? calling me Vinster for years. Yeah. Oh, they have. Vinster, Vin Man, yeah, all that. Love she it. Let's the Vinster. Yeah, oh, that Vinster. Exactly. Well, it's give so my funny. regards to your mother. I will always. Say hi. Always. You're going home for the holidays. You're going to be with her? I will. I that's will definitely fine. be with her. All right. That's good. So let's talk about Henry Segura because he's on trial and takes the stand in his own defense. This is a man accused of murdering his girlfriend. His girlfriend's twin daughters, age six, and a third child named Javante, who was just three years old, who the couple shared. Now, he was married to someone else, uh, but had a child with another one of his girlfriends and was uh, a total player. You know, total player. Player, player. Right? Parade of women through the courtroom. But now he's on trial for this murder, which dates back to 2010. Yes. He's been in jail, not prison, but jail, waiting for his day in court. He had one trial in 2017, eight to four for acquittal, but the jury was hung. They could not come to unanimous verdict, so it was a mistrial. So this is the retrial of that case. And Henry Segura and his defense team say not only are they not guilty— Yes. Right. That the state can't prove it. But he's factually innocent and they know who did it. It was the cartel led by uh, uh, James Carlos Santos. Oh, and we are going to get into Santos. The self-proclaimed drug kingpin who has spent many years behind bars, but never for drugs, ironically. And I'm glad you mentioned how long Segura has been in, because right now I think we are close to 3000 days. Yeah, that's a long time, but th- there's many reasons for it. And uh, I don't want to get into that right now. What I want to get into is Henry Segura and his testimony and his stories. And he testified first for the defense. What did you think of that choice to call him so early in the defense case? I thought it was great because they kind of buried him in the middle. So people forget about him. I think that's why they did it. Then. That's a great point. We always used to say in the courthouse, when the defendant testifies, the entire trial becomes about the defendant. It's like you have amnesia about everything else. It's just the defense closes on the defendant. The prosecution closes on the defendant. And now I completely forgot that he testified. It's about so much more because the defense has said, we know who did it. We know who committed this horrific, horrific crime down in Tallahassee, and we're going to prove it to you. And and they put on testimony and evidence, and they got this man who's admitting to it, and they're bringing in all these other um, pieces of evidence that they believe points in a completely different direction. But Henry Segura testified, and, and this is amazing because first the jury got to see and hear his interrogation video, right? Right. Where he's lying. 
Lying through his okay, teeth wait. about his hold second on, cell phone. Hold on, lying hold on, about his so-called alibi. You just, when you lie about one thing, it doesn't mean you're lying through your teeth. Number one, it doesn't mean you're no, lying about everything. No, he lied right through everything. his teeth. I saw no, it on video. He lied about one or maybe two and a half things. He didn't lie Ladies about everything. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, hold on, wait, hold wait, on. wait. Can I make the argument for you? Ladies and gentlemen, the client <laughs> merely lied about where he was at the time of the murder. One little lie, <laughs> because, ladies and gentlemen. But you need to believe him because his he promised his wife he would stop stooping around and he was stooping so he had to lie about it and just to be also just so everyone understands there were two uh interviews by the police one was on november 20th 2010 which was the day after the crime right, right the when the bodies after, were discovered when, the bodies when he found discovered. out his child was dead okay Calm allegedly down. okay and then uh 10 days later november 30th Right. When they confronted him uh, about his second cell phone, which he completely denied. So now he um, the, the jury knows he's a liar. They they saw him firsthand on video lying through his teeth oh. about this second cell phone that he denied having. He told them that, oh, check my cell phone because I was home all day. They checked the cell phone and that cell phone was home. But that cell phone was home alone. OK, so now Segura testifies and the prosecutor gets to cross examine this liar. Let's listen. You lied to your wife repeatedly. You lied to your, the rest of your family. You lied to your girlfriends. You lied to uh, the police multiple times over the course of interviews. And, I mean, you lied to God, too, right, when you made all of your promises to him. Yes. And yet you're asking this jury to believe everything you have to say today. Yes, because in the, in the process of me lying and doing all these lying, I had a whole lot of time to sit down and think about all the mistakes I made, all the wrongs I've done to my wife and my ex-girlfriend and my other girlfriends that I cheated on, all the kids I had outside of my marriage. And I've learned how to right my wrongs. So. Okay. And you're, so you're doing this completely to right your wrongs, not to, take, not to escape accountability for anything that you did. I don't feel like I need to escape accountability for anything. I think the evidence points to itself. The evidence is, is everything in itself. Did you hear him go, psh, psh? He That's did one of those. just the way he How do you write speaks. that down in the transcript of the trial? Psh, psh. Come on. And, and, and now all of a sudden he's had time to think about it and he's a much better man today. Really? A much better man who, who, who almost picked a fight with the judge in the middle of all this in front of I, the jury? I, I, I didn't like that either, okay? I did not like that. But you and I were essentially raised in courtrooms. So we treat judges a certain way. But, and I asked people around the newsroom because a lot of people were on actually Henry Segura's side saying that the judge should not have spoken to the to him like that because not all of us feel that way about judges. I'm with you. I completely agree. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're accused of quadruple murder. You're in a courtroom in a death penalty case. Then the judge presiding over it asks you to be quiet and you continue to talk Vinny, over him. Vinny, if he's being wrongfully prosecuted, if he's innocent and he's been sitting in jail for about 3,000 days and this case is going on a decade, you'd be a little testy too, my friend. Or did it reveal who he really is, that he has quite a temper, which he admitted to on the stand, I don't that think he had a temper and he could snap just like he said Brandy could as well. judge is equivalent to this, perhaps one of the most vicious crimes that we have ever uh, reported on. I exactly. If you cannot control yourself no, you in a courtroom... <laughs> 
<laughs> One has nothing with to do with the other. With the man who's <gasps> obviously in charge, the judge, no. in your own death penalty case, how do you think you're going to control yourself with a woman who's threatening okay. to throw you in jail because Hold you haven't on. paid your child support Hold on. and who's busting your chops up he and just down? Had, wait, he just had sex with her. There is no impetus on that night. He says he had sex with her. Okay, fine. But still, there's nothing that the prosecution has put into evidence that shows an impetus for such rage. Nothing. Give me one reason why the jury should believe Henry Segura, why anyone should believe Henry Segura. I mean, he just lies. He casually lies. No, he now, lies about uh, some things only to yeah, protect like, his marriage. No, no, no. He doesn't lie about other stuff. He lies about where he is at the time of a brutal murder. Because of the sex happening in the house. That's why. Okay. Listen, just I'm being serious. Just look at the guy's demeanor. There is nothing. I did. Of, there's nothing about him. He's arrogant. No. He's full of himself. No, he's not. He de- no, he's, he's not. demeaning he's a, to women. He's, yeah. Absolutely. You know, he's a, yeah, but listen. I'm Absolutely. Not, hey, Vinny, I'm not calling People Magazine to make him boyfriend or husband of the year. No, but it's okay? beyond that. He doesn't. No, even, it's not. He, no, no. He the way he spoke about women, women was, was a, and, and to me, that's someone who's like, I am not going to get pushed around by a woman. A woman is not going to put me in jail. I did not get that's that. That's not going to happen. I absolutely I, got that. I, from I, him. I think that he is way too dumb. And I think he's almost, I don't want to say soft spoken, but he was just too simple, simple minded. There was no rage in him. He didn't have that vitriol to even think about doing something like this. The rage came out in a split second. So why? In front but of the I, jury. And I still don't. Why? Oh. Why? Because why he, he was this? not in control of a situation. Okay? He didn't want to be controlled by the judge, just like he didn't want to be controlled by Brandy Peters, who had control of him because she had his child. And she was busting his chops saying, it's not your baby, but you still got to pay for this baby. That's what she was doing. Okay. She absolutely that, was doing that's that. What, that's clear. I understand that you are saying this, but I don't think there was enough evidence to support that she was busting his chops, that she was riding he him admitted so it. much. He but admitted it. But not to it. the extent that, that it she caused w- him uh, to kill It would everybody. rage. He can't control it. Think about it. He's so outraged at the system that you're talking about here being falsely accused. He is now, uh, it, it, this woman is making him pay Tens of thousands of dollars, preventing him from going overseas to make hundreds of thousands of dollars as a contract worker. Can't do anything because of her. And she is saying, he's not even your baby. You don't think it's going to cause some rage on a guy with this big of an ego? No, listen, I think. Why did he park his car around the corner? Because maybe maybe he was worried. Maybe he was worried his wife was following him. Or maybe he was worried some no, one of those nosy gonna, wait, neighbors would see his on. car in wait the, a in the Vinny, if you're gonna kill someone, take an Uber. He wouldn't have parked his car anywhere around there. Take an it doesn't Uber. make any sense. I'm not sure if Uber was around back then. Okay. Number one, I think just in San Francisco. But number two on the Uber issue, because okay. this is twenty ten. Okay. Uh, on, on the issue, that that would give you a digital footprint of where you were. He tried to erase the digital footprint by his leaving car. his phone at home and telling police, I was home. Check my phone. That's my alibi. And they checked it. It was his alibi, but he had a second phone that he would not admit to, and that second phone put him at the scene of the crime, at the time of the crime. Nobody was going to identify his car in the driveway because he parked around the corner. Around the corner is still too close to commit a murder. Around the corner makes sense because you're just sleeping around. And, And you know what? Listen. The bottom line is a lot more evidence points to the defense's theory of the case. And that is, and we've heard it before in other cases, and we heard it again in this case, The cartel did it. We're going to talk about that next.
Crawl Space is a true crime and mystery podcast hosted by the creators of Missing Maura Murray. Crawl Space runs the gamut of the crime genre with hosts who apply their deep dive investigative technique into cold cases and missing person cases like Brianna Maitland and Brandon Lawson. They discuss the mysteries of Suitcase Jane Doe, the Colonial Parkway murders, and Danielle Sleeper's disappearance with people close to the cases. Tim and Lance also converse with experts in the fields of criminal psychology, law enforcement, and crime media. Want to know how to catch a liar or what it's like to wear a wire and get a confession from a juror in your son's wrongful murder conviction? Crawl Space has it. Check out Crawl Space on your favorite podcatcher now. Henry Segura's defense in this case is that the drug cartel, in fact, killed Brandy Peters and her three kids. Now, usually when I hear this Mexican cartel did it, I don't believe it. But in this case, I am buying into this theory. <laughs> what? No, but you see, you have to giggle at the end because it, no, I, I again, giggle at your face. The, the absurdity of all of this, um, bringing the Mexican cartel into this, based upon what the words of a man who calls himself uh, a Carlos Santos, James who, Carlos Santos, yeah, who doesn't speak a lick of Spanish but gives himself a Spanish surname to make himself the, look like some sort of, of Mexican friends. cartel guy. No, hold on, I had a lot of Spanish friends in New York who had Spanish names who don't speak Spanish. Exactly. Maybe he's like a third, fourth generation. No, that, that, okay, that, but, that's fine if that was just, actually his but name. He, he's not saying he was part of the Losetas. The, the, the defense theory is that uh, James Carlos Santos worked for or gang member of the Vice Lord's gang. Now, the Vice Lord's gang, I believe, was buying drugs from the Mexican drug cartel Losetas. According to and, whom? Uh, well, according to the defense's theory. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. Carlos Santos. Okay, a lot of people think this. It's not just James Carlos Santos. Based upon what? Wait, hold on. words of Carlos Santos. Not just him. Remember Washington? Okay, so remember remember Washington, this guy Washington, Gregory Washington, he was supposed to come and testify, and he said in the prior trial that he signed up as a confidential informant for the police department, wore a wire, spoke to some guy named Paramore. Paramore was also part of this drug group. Team, team member, drug, no. I was, Defense that's fantasy? Not, no, the team that killed Brandy and the kids. Gotcha. Okay, so there are other people that are pointing this out. It's not just James Carlos Santos. However, James Carlos Santos uh, allegedly sent a threatening letter to Brandy Peters the night or the day before the murder, so about November 18th, 2010, and James Carlos Santos came to court and said that Brandy Peters worked for him as a drug mule, drug runner, and that the reason she was killed was because she stole money, approximately $100,000, and drugs. $100,000. So right, which, which really isn't a lot of money for James Carlos Santos because he testified under oath uh, that he can go to a strip club and drop 90 grand in a night. And he talked about going to a strip club called uh, uh, Follies on the Buford, uh, Buford Highway in uh -huh. the Atlanta area. I've spoken to people in the Atlanta area about this so called Follies. They said for $90,000, you could buy the whole place. Okay. Nobody's I, dropping I, I, 90 I, I grand know, wait, follies wait, on just, Buford in Atlanta. Can we take a pause? Who'd you speak to? Are these like friends of yours? People. People? Yeah. What Some people? of them may be sitting at this table, but I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Let's listen to, this is how convincing Santos was. Let's listen to a little bit of him on direct. At some point, did you end up 
um, directing associates of yours to kill Brandy Peters. Yes, sir, I did. And why was that? Um, she had stolen money and drugs. Okay. Um, without going into the nature of any communications, how was it that you found that out? I was contact. Well, I contacted an associate of mine, and he informed me. So, listen to him. He is concise. He answers the questions. He doesn't flinch. He's calm. Uh, he sounds like a board member of the Vice Lords. That's how a board member, in my mind, would uh, portray themselves. Right. Now, if I was producing this podcast, when we played any sound bites from James Carlos Santos, I would put the Benny Hill theme underneath it as the soundtrack. What is that sound? <laughs> sing it. People at home know. Just I don't have sing to sing it. No, no, no. People, people know what I'm talking about. Because this guy is ridiculous. His story is not credible. It is absurd. He's making it up on the fly. Adds facts like any okay, other wait a delusional he's, disorder wait a person Before with delusions of grandeur, which is what he's diagnosed with. Before, okay, listen. Friggin' Trapper, Trapper John MD, calm down. Trapper John D JD, that's what I should call you. Okay, I, I just don't see that he... Besides some medical record that, that he was questioned on, there's no other evidence that points to him having any mental instability. And other than in, reading his own words in the crazy in letters the that he letters, writes. In the letters, he is able to talk about Angel Avila Quinones, whose DNA was found in the bedroom. There's some argument about the from the experts whether the DNA was found, but at the time of the first trial, there was DNA found in the bedroom, Angel Avila Quinones, a Colombian national and a former member of the Losetas. And he also points out to the $20,000 back child support motive regarding the killing of Brandy Peters. And he also mentions the Losetas. So how does uh, Carlos know all these things? Um, the Tallahassee Democrat, which is a great publication with some good journalists who reported on everything that was happening here. Now, here's the thing. Uh, yeah, James but you Car have not proved to me that uh, Santos is some voracious reader. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, here's the so thing with Santos. No. S and it's not like Santos suddenly appears and the defense finds him or he surrenders himself, you know, before this first trial in 2017. Back in 2010, 2010, investigators talked to him, okay? This was not a rush to judgment against Henry Segura. This was an investigation. They spoke to Segura, who lied about his alibi, okay? And they tracked that down. They talked to Santos, who they knew very quickly was bonkers, okay? This is a man who has confessed to killing two people who aren't dead, as well as an Atlanta police officer while he was on house arrest in Las Vegas, another case where he was not charged for the murder because he didn't commit it, because he's delusional with delusions of grandeur and injects himself into all these cases to somehow elevate his status it's just as a prisoner because he is nuts. He just likes to exaggerate. I, honestly, I can, for gang members, killing people is like, for us, uh, trying cases. You know, we just like to say, oh, wow, I've tried so many cases. I'm such a great lawyer. It's the same thing. But hold on. What Santos had and what the defense had was the dreamiest of all experts that I have ever seen, Dr. Delacruz. So that brings the defense case some credibility. Let's listen to the gang expert, Dr. Delacruz, testifying. Everything that I reviewed points directly towards the Zetas. And, and, and you know, the, the spade, the way it was placed against the wall, uh, it didn't have any blood, it wasn't used in the murder. It was a clear message 
right? So it was all by itself, according to the pictures that I that I reviewed, next to the lady's body, right, on the wall. It didn't have no blood, so to me it indicated that it wasn't used in the murder itself. The viciousness of the way that children were killed uh, and, and, and the way the victim, was, the, the mother was killed, you know, beaten, shot, stabbed. I mean, you know, the viciousness of the crime itself indicates to me, and, and I've done a lot of, you know, cases and they're vicious as well, but not like this and not where they have children. That was Dr. Jesse Dela Cruz. And from now on, I'd like to be referred to as Jesse's girl. Yeah. That's my <laughs> new go. name. There you go. He's got a great stash, I, great mustache. Uh, he was so good. He's like, I love that type of guy who is like street and science mixed together. And I thought he was very compelling. He said the Zetas did it. Yeah. So I get, it's over. You're wrong. I'm right. The Zetas but did wait, it. But wait, let's backtrack. Wait, why? Let's rewind. No. Do, 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 rewind to a little bit earlier in the podcast. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, which is the folks uh, listening out there, <laughs> um, uh, Seema Iyer, earlier in this podcast, <laughs> to my recollection, say? referred to Carlos Santos as a member of the Vice Lords, not the Zetas. Carlos Santos ordered the hit. He is a Vice Lord. So what do the Zetas and, and how they kill someone have to do with this murder? Because according to the defense and Seema Iyer, this was a Vice Lords hit, not a Zetas hit. So uh, as much as I love Dr. Cruz... His testimony, irrelevant. Okay, but hold on a second. First of all, we know it's relevant because he was proffered. So the judge deemed it appropriate testimony to come into this case. Now, how it's connected is the vice lords worked under or in connection with or in tandem. Is that right? Uh, tandem? Not with really. the Lozetas. Because you have to buy your drugs from somewhere. You don't just go to CVS and say, hey, can I have four bricks of cocaine? Because the vice lords have to buy their drugs from the Lozetas. And then when the vice lords, are you falling asleep? No, no, okay. no. When vice lords can't pay back the Lozetas, because Brandy Peters is stealing that money and stealing the drugs, they have to account for it. So uh, Santos probably told his secretary, because you know he has a secretary, told his secretary. Selena. Selena. Says, Selena, hey, can you get Lozetas on the line so maybe we could do a conference call? Yeah. And they put it on their Outlook calendar, and they had a little call, and they explained what happened with Brandy Peters. And then Lozetas said, okay, we're going to help you. We're going to get some of our team members, and we're going to put a team together. And Santos said it was seven people, so seven people had to put this team team together and that's how it works are you are we done yeah. are we convinced and now ladies and gentlemen you understand why it is ridiculous because Seema just proved our point in, in this explanation like and it's a huge problem I think it's a real problem in this case because I'm concerned about one thing right the truth what really happened here and it, it, it was not Santos. This guy did not direct any hit of anyone. And that's what the defense is, is, is trying to sell the world, that Carlos Santos is some sort of drug kingpin, ordered this hit, and it, it looks like a Zetas hit, but he's a vice lord, but don't worry about it. This case went from the defense with a very specific theory that they were going to prove, right, to classic defense attorney, let's boil the spaghetti Ready? And then we pour it out and throw it up against the wall. <laughs> and whatever sticks, that's reasonable doubt, ladies and gentlemen. We actually do use that. Okay. All right. Well, listen, there was one witness that came in that supports your theory of the case. And I know you loved him. I know how much you love snitches. So we're going to talk about do snitches get stitches or do they help? 
That's next. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. They say snitches get stitches. However, there have been a parade of snitches that have come into the Segura trial. Some decided not to testify. We had Mr. Washington. He came in, got on the stand. Jury was in the room. He testified in the first trial back in 2017, and he just said, I'm not testifying. I'm not testifying. Yeah, and, and, and he looked scared. And, he looked, and he looked scared. Concerned, and something happened after he testified last time. Now, I don't know. I've never spent time in the joint, so I don't know what happens if word gets out that you are someone who is testifying or agreeing to testify for the state. Just as a general rule of thumb, it may not make you a very popular inmate. No, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I think let's talk about the practicality of someone like Mr. Washington coming to testify, the logistics, okay? So you could end up, so you're going from maybe whatever prison or another jail you are, you're being transferred usually by bus. So in that transfer, you may be alone, but at some point you are in a jail and you could be housed with someone like James Carlos Santos or perhaps another witness because there were other jail witnesses that we expected to testify that haven't testified. And you're in this like big uh, room in the jail is it like a large type of cell where they can just kind of run around and, and there's vending machines. So that's one area. The other issue is that when you're transported to court. So if James Carlos Santos and Washington could have been on the same bus from the jail where they're being held to testify to the courthouse. Then it gets worse. If the courthouse, the holding cells for people to testify are usually are usually much smaller. So these are all these opportunities where either Santos or someone else could have gotten to him, maybe even Segura. Or or perhaps what happened is that you know the word gets out that this is some guy who uh, testifies on behalf of the state, and then when he's an inmate, he kind of has a reputation, and people stay away from him because, as you said off the top, uh, snitches get stitches. So, you know, the, the reputation is that if you are one who cooperates uh, and becomes a jailhouse informant, no one is going to trust you. No one is going to like you. Your life might be a little bit rough on the inside. And depending upon who you're testifying against or what it's involved, it could impact your family on the outside. Really? Especially if you're a Wait, criminal. You have said to me, so you... You always dismiss snitches. I uh, Yeah, and you can call them snitches, you can call them informants, whatever you are. I, I take all of their testimony with a huge grain of salt. I presume that what they are saying is not true. I need independent corroboration of everything they say, which is why Santos is a problem in this case, Washington is a problem in this case, as well as, as one that was called by the prosecution. Kelsey Kennard. Okay, before I get to Kelsey Kennard, I'm going to tell you something. This is, I was shocked. I had a few guests on yesterday, Court TV. I had a few guests, both former prosecutors, actually three former prosecutors, three criminal defense attorneys. They all said juries love snitches. Really? I, I was That's surprised. Amazing. It's amazing. I had no idea. And, and, and the funny thing is, these, these, uh, the, the guests on the set, they were saying it in unison. They were like, they love them. They love snitches. Why do they love snitches? I don't get it. Because well, every time they say something, it, it's it's in some form of it's going to help them. 
right? In, in some way. It, it, it's, it's not just, you know, out of the goodness <laughs> of their heart. I think maybe it's that jurors get fascinated with this idea of having someone who was in the cell with the defendant and and giving us this uh, behind-the-scenes conversation. So we can talk about the the snitch that testified. This was Kelsey Kennard. And Kelsey Kennard uh, testified for the prosecution. And his claim was he was incarcerated with Segura in Oklahoma or Oklahoma City or some something like that. And they knew each other for a week. Yeah. For one week. Mm-hmm. And after one week, after one week, Segura says, hey, BTW, I killed my ex-girlfriend and three children. Yeah, it's, it is what it is. I, you know, it, all this stuff is possible. Can, wait, but is anyone going to believe this guy? Please, I need corroboration. Is anyone going to believe that in one week I got so close to you that I said this? Well, I mean, I don't know how you argue it. Maybe he's in such a vulnerable place being in, in prison and he's you know reaching out to a fellow um, criminal. Dude, I, have had, I have had friends uh, for like three or four years and they don't even know if I like girls or boys. Yeah. I, I, little privacy, people. Keep it to yourself, okay? If you're going to kill someone. Anyone who thinks I'm going to do a follow-up question <laughs> to that statement, you are wrong. I will not. Okay, so moving on. And the other, the other, I, I think, and, and tell me what you think. You know, Kelsey Kennard, his testimony came in, his prior testimony from the 2017 trial. Doesn't that leave jurors wondering, hey, Kels, where are you, dude? Why aren't you here live in person? Yeah, of course. Uh, they're all going to wonder it. But again, they're going to consider it and they'll listen to whatever the judge in- instructs them on, on what to think about it. But at the end of the day, I mean, for me personally and for me as a prosecutor, for me to go forward in a case, I'm not going to rely uh, upon jailhouse informants sl- slash snitches unless something they give me can be independently corroborated. OK, so was it a bad idea? for the prosecution to call Kelsey Kennard and call him through his prior testimony. I think what they're trying to do is neutralize the impact of the other informants that are that are showing up in this courtroom, including Santos, who is an inmate. He's just another inmate. That's who this guy is. So I think that it, part of that is to neutralize all of that. And if, in fact, this guy came forward and, and they believed him and they found him credible, then they put him up there. Uh, but at the end of the day, for me personally, to believe these people, criminals who are spending time in jail and are, are perhaps looking for something on the back end, they're always looking for something okay, on the back end. Right. So that's, that was my, that's my final question to you, is that if Kelsey Kennard was getting nothing out of this, no plea deal, nothing, because and let's not forget, James Santos didn't get anything out of this. James Santos. No, did no, he's this. delusional he, grandeur. That's what he me, got out of it. He did this he's out of the goodness of his heart because he is a changed man, and you just don't want to recognize no, that. No, he's feeding his you ego. You just don't want to recognize that. So, bottom line, Kelsey Kennard, that, I mean, that was like the real quintessential snitch of this trial. Would you have found him more credible if he got no plea deal? He just came in, said what he said. Uh, this guy admitted to killing this family. Uh, I knew him for a week. Uh, my grain of salt would have been a little bit smaller. Okay. I still need it. Okay, but you, and you think that- I don't believe they're criminals. Why do I? Why would I believe criminals? I think that's they're a horrible, criminals. That's a horrible thing to say because no, you're it saying, isn't. Wait, uh, 
my These boy- are people Wait. who don't follow the rules. My boyfriend, Dr. Dela Cruz, was a criminal, and now he's a doctor. Yeah. And you're not a doctor. Yeah, well, he didn't follow the rules in the beginning. Okay, but now do you see why I love him? Yeah. And do you love him? Do you love him, too? You would believe him. I just love the mustache. I do love the mustache. It's a full mustache. All right, folks, coming up next, um, another case that we have been following, uh, a big verdict in Colorado, this one also involving a cooperating witness. This was the missing mom murder trial. Patrick Frazee convicted, but to do so, the prosecutor had to do something that none of us like to do. We did a deal with the devil, and I'm not proud of that. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front-row seat to justice. The missing mom murder trial in Colorado is over. Kelsey Barrett brutally, brutally murdered but her body never recovered. She had a, a 13-month-old child, Kaylee, yeah. ironically. Uh, little yeah. Kaylee, who was 13 months old when her mom went missing. She's never been found. Her fiancé, the father of that child, Patrick Frazee, was the man charged and now convicted of this murder. And we've got a few things to unravel with this case. Uh, first, you didn't see it on court TV because cameras were prohibited from being inside the courtroom, but obviously we followed uh, every step of this trial through the way. So Patrick Frazee is a rancher out in Colorado, has a relationship with Kelsey Barrett. They have this child, and they live separately, different homes, uh, but shared custody of this little angel, this yeah, little yeah, baby, 13-month-old uh, Kaylee. So um, it's around Thanksgiving 2018. And so we're almost at a year anniversary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she is um, last seen on video with little Kaylee at the supermarket doing some shopping. Right. And then there's an, a, an apparent exchange where she brings the baby over to Patrick Frazee's but home. But were they still dating at the time? That's it's, where it's, it's confusing. It's, it's very confusing on many different levels what the nature of the relationship was. Um, Officially, they were fiancé and fiancé. Right, but they're living separately. She's giving the baby to yeah, take care of the baby today. Right, that and sharing custody. Yeah, it is a little strange. So you're looking at what would be the motive here? Like, you know, the, is, is the motive have anything to do with he doesn't want to be with it? Well, he doesn't have to be with Kelsey Barrett, but they're sharing custody. So what exactly is going on? It's and not clear. And why are they still fiancés? Why are they together? But apparently uh, what, what happens is Kelsey Barrett goes missing her cell phone pings in Idaho, right, hundreds of miles away in Idaho, and this leads to an investigation where they track down a woman. She is a nurse. Her name um, is Crystal Lee Kenny. Okay, she's subsequently, I think, dropped the Kenny part of her name, um, but she is someone who's had a long relationship with Patrick Frazee. Knew him before she knew Kelsey Barrett, and they were together. Then they broke up, and. It's a, it's complicated, okay? Right. That's the best way to put it. It's but it's overlapped. Crystal Lee Kenny's relationship overlapped uh, Patrick Frazee's with Kelsey Barrett. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and at some point, uh, Crystal Lee is pregnant with Patrick's child, but uh, she testifies that uh, he doesn't want to have a child out of wedlock, which is strange because little Kaylee was born out of wedlock. It's 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 bizarre. So, it, but there's this triangle going on between Crystal Lee Kenny, the um, rodeo nurse I call her from Idaho, right. Patrick Frazee, and Kelsey Barrett. Kelsey Barrett goes missing. Investigators 
track her phone and connect it to Crystal Lee Kenny. She gets wrapped up in all of this. They 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 charge her, but she cuts a deal. Okay, she cuts a deal. Probably saved your life by cutting that deal to cooperate. Good. Okay. I want you to take a listen, because that's what we heard a little piece of before. I want you to listen to the DA talking about the role of Crystal Lee Kenny in all of this and how the relationship and deal they cut with her relates to prosecuting the man they believe murdered Kelsey Barrett, Patrick Frazee. None of us wanted to give a deal uh, to Crystal Lee. Uh, she deserves every day that the judge may or may not sentence. He'll decide that sentence. But she deserves every single day that she gets. Uh, this part of our job I don't like, I didn't like in this case. Ultimately, it was my decision. I can tell you we spoke uh, with Miles DeYoung with the Woodland Park Police Department. We spoke to the agents who were involved in this case to get their opinions. I spoke with my team. I actually spoke with a number of other prosecutors. Uh, we did a deal with the devil. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that, and I'm not proud of that. Uh, but there's no question that Kelsey wouldn't have had the sure justice today without making that deal with the devil. So they're calling her the devil, and, and I agree. And, and here's the backstory. This is the tragedy of all this. Her testimony is, is that Patrick Frazee solicited her to murder Kelsey Barrett on his behalf more right. than once. And she did nothing to stop the murder of this mom. Which is why she deserves to spend some serious time in prison. Listen, cooperating is great. Get you get you some time off. We've seen that in other cases. And there sh- surely should be some incentive for someone to cooperate. But she could have saved a life. Yeah, to me, that's the, the, the tragedy here. And this little, little uh, Kaylee, who is now, you know, uh, 25 months old, uh, she does. She's lost her mother. Her father has been convicted. He's got life plus 156 years. We're never going to hear from him again, Patrick Frazee. He's out of her life, and now this little girl has to grow up, and the people who are raising her have to figure out what to tell her. But the fact, I don't know, how can a human being not do something when you know someone wants someone else murdered? It, it, is, is it because she's scared she's going to be murdered? I, I don't understand how you can just sit there and do nothing. And then what she did, and she testified about all this, is she went and she was called after the murder, is what she says, and goes and cleans everything up. Cleans up this, 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 this scene, this horrific scene where a woman was beaten to death with a baseball bat. Wasn't she or isn't Crystal Lee Kenny a nurse? Yes. Can you believe this? I don't understand this. Uh, you know, she testified that Frazee told her to give Bareth a drugged coffee so we can end this. With those words, so we can end this, she, she, it just demonstrates that Frazee is completely ruthless, cold. And days later, he gave her a pipe and told. Crystal Lee Kenny to hit Barrett on the head and to make sure there wasn't a lot of blood, which as a nurse, you may able, you may be able to, to do that, right? Because as a nurse, you know, basic things like anatomy, you know how to kill someone and then not produce a lot of blood. Yeah. Hopefully as a nurse, you haven't thought about that a lot, but yeah, that's something you would know. Now the, the description of this murder is horrific. The, the, what, what uh, Crystal Lee, and, and here's the thing, it's, it's, 
they had to make this deal because she gave information to prosecutors that they're not getting no anywhere one else. else knew. Nobody has been recovered to this day, and it may have been impossible to prosecute Patrick Frazee right. without her. Well, and this is what you were saying. You know, we were talking about different type of jailhouse snitches, right, earlier in this podcast. But this is a little bit of a different situation, more of a cooperator. It's not a snitch. But you do always, at least the defense, says for the jury, hey, you have to evaluate that this person is getting a deal. And does she have incentive to lie? And with Crystal Lee, the added component is this woman scorned type of situation. Right. But I, I think ultimately what this jury looked at was, hey, the fact that Crystal Lee is a, is a, is not a great human being, the fact that Crystal Lee lied to investigators initially about all of this, um, the only it doesn't make him not guilty. It just makes her guilty oh, as well. Absolutely. And you know what I mean? So yeah. I, so I think in in looking at her cooperation, I hate the fact that they had to cut a deal because she could have prevented the murder of this woman. Uh, but at the end of the day, you needed to convict Patrick Frazee because this man is absolutely evil, and and I don't want him anywhere near that child. Well, and if he wasn't convicted, right, he may have raised oh, this child. Oh, right, right, right. No, that, that that is true. I mean, listen, the evidence was overwhelming in the opening statements, or at some point, uh, the prosecutor she said this is one of the most brutal murders that she had ever seen in 18 years of practicing law. 18 years is a long time. Well, here's here's what uh, uh, she testified that he did. He, he said he put a sweater over told her to put a sweater over her head and to smell some candles that he had had purchased to see if she could tell what what you know what flavor these candles candles were and she puts the sweater over her head grabs a baseball bat and bashes yeah, her to yeah. death horrific but he's gone but he's, but he's gone i don't want to say his was, name was there ever ever any type of testimony or anything that came out that he was mentally ill in terms of like being a sociopath no but there was testimony that while he was locked up he was trying to get some other people to take out the prosecutor the investigator and crystal lee maybe he's i evil. think he's a sociopath i maybe think he's a sociopath yeah. he's gone gone okay so next week uh we are going to be able to give you we think <laughs> We think, who really knows? We think we're going to give you a, a verdict update on Florida versus Segura. Yeah, yeah, because as as we are speaking, we are in a verdict watch in the Segura case. So uh, next week, we'll be able to give you a complete analysis of what the jury does in this case. Whether there's a verdict, whether it's something else, we will bring that to you. Also happening right now, a jury is being seated in the case against Mark Seavers. That is the husband accused of orchestrating the murder of his wife, Dr. Teresa Seavers. This is an incredible case. So we're going to bring that to you as well. Okay. So in the meantime, you know, all these things that we talk about are on television. We are on the that's television what, that's, every that's, day. That's my day job. This, well, this. Why, how do you think my mom has become so obsessed with you? It's exactly. She doesn't watch me when I'm on the television three to six. She watches closing arguments every night, 6 right. p.m. Eastern. And and she may have one of those digital antennas that she just recently rescanned yeah. to make sure that she gets the signal. So if you have a digital antenna at home, you can get us for for free, for free, just to rescan your antenna. And of course, we're available all different places. Go to courttv.com for more information. This has been wonderful. This is the best. Please listen, watch, love us, and we thank you. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to courttv.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.